0: Weeks leading up to Advent, we've been looking at the Old Testament book of Ruth. We're going to continue that today. And um, one of the things that I've thought about uh, this is, as we've done this is um, this is a great story. It just is a great story. And one of the things that is, is so uh, wonderful about this is is that we get the opportunity to get to know these characters. We get to, to see them in grief. We get to see them in difficulty. And we'll we'll get to see them in joy and that is one of the great things uh about life is getting to know people uh either through literature about people that uh are are long dead or just you know uh, other folks uh, that uh, god brings our way um we have been on a, a journey the last 6 months of getting to know uh, our uh, future daughter-in-law and uh and she's been getting to know us and um, bless her heart, she came. She uh, the first time my son brought her here, she came and she sat in my office, and I could see her looking around. And uh, the, the the college that I went to, super pretentious, because our uh, diplomas are on actual vellum, actual uh, sheepskin, in Latin. And she's looking at that like, yikes. And like it is pretentious. Um, but I told her this last time when she was here over Thanksgiving, I said, you know, really, uh, we, we're we like backward southern people who read books. Because and she's like, what do you mean? And I said, well, we like to read books and we like to talk about ideas around our dinner table and and we talk about important things and that kind of stuff. But we're really backward southern people. And she said, what do you mean about that? I said, well, we, for instance, uh, we eat all parts of all animals. <laughs> and she was like, really? I said, yeah. I said, y'all aren't going to be here at Christmas. I got our my son, in, who was there with us, So we got our, our favorite holiday dip that we like to eat. You want to try it? She said, sure. And she takes a piece of it and she puts it in her mouth. She spits it right out. And she says, ooh, what is that? I'm like, well, it's got liver and spleen and brain and all that kind of stuff in it. And uh, like I said, we're backward Southern people. And we particularly will eat all parts of a hog. And she's like, you know, oh, no. And I said, but, to be in this family, you have to eat this, <laughs> not really <laughs> um, but um, yeah, she for a second there she 's like you know she didn 't know what to do with me anyway right so so when i 'm saying something like that to her, she was yeah, she almost had a fit so the, the, the fact is it is the, the wonder of this book to me is not just the, the way we get to see God redeem uh, one of the bleakest possible situations imaginable, but we get to know these people we get to have insight into their character and their heart and and what they 're like like last week we learned that that uh, Boaz was a man of character, a, a man of integrity a, uh, a man uh, uh, to, to to look up to, someone who uh, is a worthy man, as the text said about him. And we see Ruth in her quiet, gentle way going about being very faithful and loving and caring to her mother-in-law. And so uh, what I want us to do this morning is we'll take about two minutes just to quickly review where we are, and then we're gonna just draw out two things out of the, the text that we're reading today. And that is we're gonna talk about gleaning and what God would say to us about a culture uh, that was... Uh, big on gleaning, and we're going to look, secondly, at verse 3, where it says that Ruth just so happened uh, to go to a particular particular uh, field. So John Piper summarizes where we are here, I think, pretty well. He says, Sweet providence as well as bitter comes to Naomi in chapter 1. Remember, she there's a famine. She and her husband and her sons go to Moab. Uh, Her sons marry Moabite women. They produce no children, and then all the men die. And uh, Naomi and her daughter-in-law, Ruth, uh, make make their way back, right? So uh, God lifts the famine and opens a way home for Naomi. He gives her an amazingly devoted and loving daughter-in-law to accompany her. And he preserves a kinsman of Naomi's husband who will someday marry Ruth and preserve Naomi's line. But Naomi sees none of this. There's a Redeemer. There's the hand of God stirring and steering and leading and guiding, but she sees she sees none of it. And at the end of the chapter, she says to the townspeople of Bethlehem, I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has afflicted me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Ruth... And bitter Naomi settle in Bethlehem. And so one of the things that the writer wants us to know is that they are returning at the time of the barley harvest. And so <clears throat> the, the famine has been lifted. There's food to be harvested. And so as a result of that, that's the situation that Ruth and Naomi find themselves in. So let me read to you Ruth chapter 2, uh, verses 2 through 3. The text is in the bulletin. And it's also uh, up on uh, the screens behind me. Ruth chapter 2. Uh, verses two and three. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. So Here's the thing that we note about this, uh, that it's during the time of harvest and for whatever reason, uh, Ruth takes the initiative. She goes to her mother-in-law and asks her mother-in-law permission, can I go glean? can i go out into the fields and and get some get some food for us now we don't know where they're living we don't know what their situation is but what we know is that they have no food unless ruth goes out and gleans now it's interesting to note about this that ruth asks her mother-in-law for permission uh that she's identified as ruth the moabite that she's a foreigner that she's an immigrant that she's a refugee there and it's also uh, important to note That her mother-in-law, for whatever reason, does not go with her. Either she's too old, which I don't, I don't think really is the case. I think she's depressed. I think she's depressed. And I think she just can't go. She, she can't do something like this that would, uh, that would provide for her and her family. And Ruth knows that. And Ruth says, well, is it okay if I go and glean in the fields? Now, you hear the word gleaning, and in fact, uh, if you go on the church website and you look at today's sermon, there's a beautiful painting of gleaners, of women out in the field gleaning, and it makes you want to be there. It makes it, it looks so beautiful and so peaceful and so wonderful. You think, "Gee, I've missed out not gleaning all my life, right?" When in fact, no one wants to be a gleaner because those who glean are poor, really poor. They have no other means of getting food except following behind uh, the people who are harvesting the grain. And whatever they leave in the fields, that's all that they can get to eat. Now, the thing that you have to note about this is that, that and one of the things that we note is that, that Ruth may not be familiar with the culture in which she's living because God, uh, who redeemed his people, Israel, and established them there in the land of Canaan, had provided for this very eventuality. And in fact, he is very clear with the, the people, uh, his people, about the necessity of of allowing there to be food left in their fields For the poor people to come and to get something to eat. We've a couple of verses here to look at. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner, sojourner is uh, somebody who's living there, doesn't, who's not native to that country, I am the Lord your God. And then in, from Deuteronomy, when you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat your olive trees, and that's how you get the olives out, as you beat them, that, to knock them down onto the ground, okay? Okay. Um, this, yeah, it sounds funny beating a tree, but that's how they—that's how you get the olives down. Um, when you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over them again. In other words, when those last few olives that are hanging on to the to the limbs up there, don't keep beating on the trees to get those. Okay. It shall be for the sojourner of the fatherless and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not strip it afterward. It shall be for the sojourner of the fatherless and the widow. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore I command you to do this. Now, here's the thing. This, this is, this is where, uh, in practical living, by gleaning, by leaving something in the field for the poor, God is preaching the Gospel to His people, because what He is saying to them is and what he 's saying to us this morning is every single human being who has ever lived uh, uh, every one of us is spiritually poor and and the this this thought that we would leave something for uh, the, those that have something that they would leave it for those who have nothing. Uh, is a reminder to us of the fact that unless God acts on our behalf, unless he redeems us, unless he does something for us, we too are stuck in our spiritual poverty. Uh, the scriptures tell us that Jesus Christ, though yet though he was rich, for your sakes became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. You see, that's what gleaning and being with the poor and identifying with the poor and leaving something in your fields, not taking every single thing is a reminder to us Not just that God has some sort of feeling towards the poor, He does. And it's not just a way to provide for people who who don't have anything, though it does that. It is for our benefit to remember who our God is, that He is a Redeemer, and that He cares for us, and that without Him, we are spiritually broken and impoverished. And I think this is such a valuable thing for us, and this is one of the reasons why, uh the, the, the god gives them this this uh command not just as a as a as a means of of pre 21st century welfare or workfare or something like that it is a means to remind them that the blessing of god to them uh is the only thing that stands between them and death it's the only thing that stands between them and ultimate spiritual poverty and so it's a great thing here for the, for God to do that for his people. And it, it should instruct us a lot about his character. Um, a few uh, months ago when I was uh, with visiting with my dad, we went to take a walk one day in the little town where he lives. And we're walking down the sidewalk and I see this guy coming towards us on a bicycle. Now, and the closer he gets, the more I can tell about him because I, you, honestly, you could smell him well before he got to to us and he starts smiling at my dad. Another thing that I, to note about that is he's smiling. He doesn't have a tooth in his head. Okay, he obviously knows my dad. And my dad stops and they start talking. And the, the man says to my dad, do you have any okra? Do you have any collard greens in your garden? And my dad's like, yeah, come get it. Come pick some, come get it. And so we're walking along and I'm like, dad, who, who was that? Oh, it's just some old fella. Now, many of you probably think okra. You'd, yeah. Listen, again, backward southern people, okra, any way you fix it, we'll eat it, fry it, boil it, pickle it. Um, we love it. <laughs> okay. I'm big on okra. Uh, uh, my dad's like, yeah, that guy doesn't have much and he doesn't have anything to eat, so I let him come and pick stuff out of the garden. Um, what a great picture, what a great reminder to us of our uh, hygiene issues and our dental issues and our poverty before a holy God. And yet he provides, provides richly, profoundly, Lovingly for us. And so, so what you have to see about this and what we, what we need to understand about this is that this should tell us a lot about this God. It should tell us a lot about the implications of the gospel and it should tell us a lot about how to think about our harvests. Should tell us a lot to, uh, to think a lot about the way in which we garner and hold and hoard and distribute the things that God has given us. Next slide, AJ. So what you have to see about this is is that Ruth qualifies to to, to glean. She's a widow, clearly. She's from Moab, therefore she's a sojourner, and obviously she's very, very, very poor. So, just as a question, then, what would it mean for us? to remember our own poverty and act in mercy based on that memory. What would that mean? What would it mean for me and you to look about us and, and to think about the fact that except for the grace of God, except for his provision, I would be dead in my trespasses and sins, but God in his great mercy has made me alive, has redeemed me, and has made me spiritually rich. How might that shape the way I think about my life and particularly the way in which I uh, marshal my resources and the way I think about the poor. And what does this say about the character of our God? That he blesses and that the purpose of his blessing is to provide us for life, but also so that we would remember that without him, we're dead. Without him, we're impoverished. Without him, we have no hope. And so that's, that's a great picture here. What a What a a dramatic thing to understand and to learn that this God who redeemed this nation of slaves wants them as they are established and as they have olive groves and vineyards and, and fields full of grain that he never, ever, ever wants them to forget the fact that they were once slaves, that they were once poor, that they once not even owned their own labor. And that as they do that, that he'll bless them, that he'll provide even more for them. And, and, and that this discipline of remembering that would cause them to be merciful to the poor. So I think that's worth thinking about. And, and I, and I urge you, particularly those of you with children, to talk to your kids about this. And this is not the kind of obligatory, you know, it's Christmas time, woe is the season of commercialism. Listen, listen, let me tell you a secret. If you don't know this already, I'm on my soapbox now. Pardon me, but the fact is, there is no season of materialism. It's year round. (laughs) Okay, it's not just like that. We do it, you know, around Christmas. We're doing it every day, right? I was this. This calm down. This week, (laughs) this week, I was sitting at a, a at an intersection in my car, looking around me, mocking all the fancy cars that were around me. Because those of you who know me know that I get a lot of self-righteousness out of driving lousy cars because that makes me better than all the people who spend a lot of money on cars. Okay, I confessed it, all right, it's out there. So I was sitting there mocking all the people at the intersection, and the thought came to me. You know, Jesus came into the world, lived like a man, like me, But you know what? We don't have a lot in common. I'm sitting here in my car. This car, as lame as it is, is worth more than all the money he probably ever made in his life. And I think about my stuff, and I think about this, this kind of, this kind of stuff all the time, and, and, and I'm looking around me and I'm thinking, all these poor people around me, do they even know that Jesus came and became poor so that they might truly, eternally, spiritually be rich? Think about that. Think about that. I'm glad he's mindful of me, and he knows that about me, and still he strives with me. Secondly, the second thing that we need to note here is uh, what the text tells us in verse 3. She, that's Ruth, happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. Now... Now, here's the thing you need to read about this, and this is one of the ways that you need to read this author is uh, is really understated because there's no such thing, and this author knows it, as it just so happened. It looks like that. It looks like it just so happened. It looks like by accident she finds her way to this field where uh, uh, she'll meet uh, her uh, future husband and, and all of that. But that's not really what's going on here. This is hardly an accident. Uh, the, the author's real meaning in in verse in chapter 2, verse 3, is actually the opposite of what he says. The labeling of Ruth's meeting with Boaz as chance is nothing more than the author's way of saying that no human intent was involved. In other words, Ruth didn't plot out and, and Naomi didn't say to her, hey, go to this part of the field because that's where Boaz is. No, for Ruth and Boaz, it was an accident, but not for God. Listen. There are no accidents on the way to redemption. And one of the things that you have to see about what's happening here, and one of the things that you have to see uh, about your celebration of Advent and Christmas this year is that if Ruth doesn't happen to go to that portion of that field, there's no Christmas. If Ruth doesn't happen to go to the field where she can meet Boaz... There will be no redeemer. Right? So here we see, and here we come across these two women, these two widows, poor, struggling to make it, having to, one of them is having to go out and glean in the fields to get something to eat, that the very purpose of God that was established in Genesis 3, centuries, millennia before is actually happening because God had promised to Eve, I will put enmity between you to the serpent. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. and He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. There's no way that there's going to be a bruising going on here. There's no way that there's going to be enmity here unless there's offspring. And God is at work, even here, even through these women, obscure, gleaning, poor, broken, grief-stricken. There is no redemption unless God uses and moves and puts Ruth in that field. Now, now Ruth it just thinks she's going out to, to glean. She just thinks... She's going to a part of the field where there's something to pick up. But in fact, she is there by the unseen hand of God to accomplish His purpose, but also to accomplish her blessing. Next slide. So, so one of the things that you have to see about this is is that Ruth and Naomi are on the road to redemption, but so are we. You see, What has to happen here is because that woman happened to go to that field at that moment, at that day, we can read in Matthew chapter one, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham and Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth and Obed, the father of Jesse and Jesse, the father of David, the king. Listen, I my. Bear with me for a moment where I share with you my favorite story, one of my favorite stories from the Bible. There's a young man whose father's rich. They're so rich, they have a herd of donkeys, a lot of donkeys. And one day, the donkeys escape. This, we teach this in Sunday school all the time, right? But you already know the end of the story, don't you? You don't know what I'm talking about. Anyway, it's in the Bible. The donkeys escape. And so this young man gets his servant, and they go looking for the donkeys. Now, i got to say, if there's an apt description of what I do, a lot of my life is looking for lost donkeys. (laughs) Okay? I I spend a lot of my time looking for lost donkeys, and I can't find them. They're always one step ahead. So they're out looking for the donkeys. They can't find them. And so they come to this town and they say, hey, I've heard that there's a prophet in this, this town, and I bet if we give him some money, he'll like throw out his chicken bones on the table or, or, or tear open a chicken or, or do something, and I'll bet he'll tell us where the donkeys are. So they go into the city and they find this prophet, this seer who's gonna help them find the donkeys. And when the prophet looks at the young man as he says to him, You're not hunting for donkeys. You're the king. And he pulls out his flask of oil and he anoints that young man, the first king of the nation of Israel. Now, Saul thought he was looking for donkeys. God was leading him to be the king. Now you hear that and you think, okay, that's fine. That happens with those people. But you know what? Honestly, all I'm doing is looking for donkeys and I can't find them. And there's no meaning. There's no purpose. There's no hidden hand. It just happens. Okay. Ruth thinks that's what's going on with her too. But the fact of the matter is, there is a God who is sovereignly redeeming them and leading and providing, whether she knows it or not. Now, it would be more comforting. It would be more, uh, more gracious. It would be more joyful to believe as we're chasing the donkeys that God has something for us in the midst of that. Some, some great thing that he's gonna do, or even some small thing that he's gonna do, or maybe he's gonna do nothing, but the, the fact is he's doing it. Right? So, here's the thing. Here's the thing. There are, your, your life is not small, and it's not random. And if you believe that, you're missing out on what this, this text tells us. And that is that God is about the business of redeeming and he is about the business of redeeming in time and in space and the way in which he orders the affairs of his people. There is redemption and a redeemer, even as Ruth poor and grief stricken gleans. There's redemption prepared for her. There's Boaz that's going to meet her in the field. And yet, That redemption, as good and as true as it is, doesn't do anything for Ruth today as she wears those calluses on her hands, pulling up those last few stalks of wheat. You see, because here's the thing. Jesus is king and redeemer today, but he's also king and redeemer of the future He holds both of those in his hands and he is leading you, providing for you, uh, directing you toward that end. Because you see, the fact is, if he weren't doing that, if you were left to your own devices, you'd never get there. God doesn't leave his redemption to chance. He provides for Ruth a place to go. He directs her steps so that she'll meet the love of her life. And the love of her life will provide her with a child who will provide us with a redeemer and an eternity and a hope and a future. Hear these words of institution of the Lord's Supper as they come to us from Matthew.